Now, if you'll open your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter number 37, we're going to begin what will be, I don't know how long, but it'll be a while. We're, we're still talking about footprints that people have left behind, and no one in the Bible has probably left more footprints, good and bad, than this man Joseph. And so we're going to focus in on Joseph for quite some time. Now, you have your little midweek sheet. There's going to be a little thing or two to jot down in it. But, but be that as it may, uh, you know, Dr. Kendall in one of his books refers to Joseph as a diamond in the rough. And I think that is a good way to begin to think about Joseph. In your Bible, and in my Bible, and in everybody else's Bible, chapters 37 all the way through the end of the book, chapter number 50, the central figure in all of that is Joseph. That's a lot of material. In fact, I'll tell you how much material that is. Uh, there's no one in all the Bible. I'm talking about Abraham. I'm talking about Isaac. I'm talking about anybody. There's no one in the whole Bible that has more chapters devoted to them than does this person, Joseph. And that's, that's how we're going to be studying. And you might say, well, what is it makes Joseph so very special? And then I wish you'd just maybe fill in a little thing or two on your uh, page, and we're going to get into the Scripture in a moment. And the fact is, uh, no one in Scripture is more like Christ in person and in experiences than this man, Joseph. He is a type of Christ. I think we have a, they might put that up on the screen. Did they have it on the screen and I miss it? Um, I, I, there it comes up on the screen. Okay, our screen people are a little uh, lacking there tonight. They've gone to sleep. Now they've woke up. Okay, there it is. So I just want you to, as we read about Joseph, there's so many things about Joseph that are so much like the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the book of Genesis, there are 30 parallels between Joseph and Jesus. I'll mention quickly four of them just to kind of whet your appetite. First of all, the birth of Joseph was miraculous. You remember that story about, about Jacob and Rachel, and of course she couldn't have a child, and they waited those numbers of years, and, and then she found it was a miraculous, miraculous birth. They were up in age when, she was, when he was born, and of course Jesus was a very miraculous birth. And of course Joseph was, uh, Joseph was loved by his father Jacob. And there's a parallel between that because Jesus loved by his Father, God the Father. And not only that, uh, they ridiculed, they ridiculed Joseph. And we'll be reading about that as we journey through our scripture. And of course, that's a parallel with Jesus. Even his brothers ridiculed him. And then, of course, Joseph was hated by his brothers. And Jesus, of course, was hated by his own Jewish people. It's just a tremendous comparison between the two. Now, you have your you have your little sheet, and I asked Cindy, I said, Cindy, at the bottom of the sheet, we're going to come back and talk about that in just a few minutes. I said, I think the people might be interested in seeing uh, who all the uh, sons and then one daughter of Jacob, who these people are. 
and who was the mother that gave these people birth. And we'll deal with that in just a moment. But I, I gave you that and thought you might like to put that somewhere uh, in, in, your, in your records. Now, you know, and we'll see this in just a moment as we get into chapter 37. Uh, of course, Joseph was the uh, favorite son uh, for, for Jacob. And, you know, someone says, well, why? Well, I think one reason why is, uh, you know, he, he was born to him in old age, and so that made him very special. And then I think another reason, I just kind of read this was my opinion. You remember uh, when, when, when Rachel gave birth to the second child by, by, uh, by Joseph, uh, by Jacob, uh, the, her first child, Jacob, in fact, you look on the sheet, uh, Jacob and Rachel first was Joseph, and then a little later was Benjamin. You know, she died at child's birth. So when Benjamin was born, she died. And I think that's another reason that Jacob loved Joseph so much. I think he kind of centered his love back on the other child that he and Rachel had. That's just uh, my speculation. I don't know that there's any big thing about that. So we'll, we'll just kind of move on with that. Now, I want you to look with me in chapter number 37 uh, as we begin to read what the Bible has to say. The Bible says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger uh, in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. It says, Joseph, here he is. Now, Joseph comes on to the real picture when he's 17 years of age. Now, we, we can go back to his birth, and that's an interesting thing to go back and see when he was born. If you, if you want to just mark it back in chapter 30. In verse 22 and following along that, you read about the birth of Joseph. But after you read about the birth of Joseph, we don't really have much more about Joseph at all, really, until we get to chapter 37. And now he's 17 years old, so we've kind of got a little gap of time. But from this point on, we have vast information about this man, Joseph. And so uh, he's 17 years old, and look what he was doing. He was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons, talking about Joseph, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, let's just, let's just kind of stop here just for a moment. You know, um, this wouldn't be a needful subject, but I'm going to pause on it because it's just something that happens to come up here in this portion of Scripture and other places. Back in Old Testament times, men had more than one wife at the same time. And uh, not only that, uh, they had children by other women that were like concubines. And uh, concubine was kind of uh, like a lower status of a wife. They weren't equal to a wife, but they were kind of on a lower level of a wife. In fact, uh, in the book of 1 Kings in chapter 11, it reminds us Solomon had 700 wives. Can you imagine a thing like that? And 300 concubines. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the que- and then, of course, we look at, look at Jacob. If you look at your sheet here, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Jacob was, was the father of Joseph and Benjamin through Rachel. That was his, uh, that was his true love. And then, of course, she had a maid. And you know that story. She couldn't have children. And so as the custom was in that day, if a woman in that day couldn't have a child, 
she was looked down upon. And so if that was true, she would have someone to uh, father the children in kind of her place. And so as you read the Bible, uh, Rachel did that, and her maid's name was Bilhah. And so she had these two sons. And then, of course, poor old Jacob, you know, he thought he was marrying Rachel. He married Leah. You remember that story. And uh, well, she had all these kids plus one daughter. And then she had a maid, and, and, and Jacob was the father of two more children. Of course, what we have here is the 12 tribes. I mean, you have the, the foundation of the Hebrew nation right here, Jacob being the father through these four different people. Now, the question would be, well, now, you know, you read these things in the Bible, and I mean, you know, Abraham had more than one wife, and these, all these people had more. So, like, then we get to, like, polygamy, like, I mean, is anything wrong with polygamy? You say, well, yeah, the laws say you can't do that. Well, but what about God's laws? Well, let me say this, Uh, because this would be true in a lot of other issues in the Bible. One of the things I love about the Bible, it doesn't cover up things. The Bible doesn't hide things. But I remember this, just because we read something in the Bible, that went on at a certain period of time. Maybe it was even the custom of that time, or maybe it was not. But because it's in the Bible, and God's, the Holy Spirit inspired everything in the Bible, but everything in the Bible is not also something that God approves. The fact of the matter is, uh, God disapproves polygamy. And you'd go back, in fact, if you want to turn back in the book of Genesis, let's just run back in chapter number 2 just for a moment. Uh, Go back with me in Genesis 2, and you're going to beat me. I'm in a new Bible, and I love it, except it's hard to move around the pages. It's not broken in good. But look in Genesis chapter 2, and look down verse 24. Of course, God had made man, but in verse 24 it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, that's singular. Now, he doesn't say joined his wives, and they shall become one flesh. And so uh, monogamy is, is what Scripture would teach. And uh, even though in this day and time customs were different, and even what they did was not under the blessings and the approval of God. And, and I wish you'd just jot that down on your sheet. I think it's very important because the Bible records things does not mean the Bible approves things. I mean, a lot of things in the Bible recorded. I mean, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Well, God disapproves of adultery. David had her husband killed. Well, God disapproves that too. So we, we have to understand that, you know, in, in, in certain periods of time, the custom of that time was thus and so. But we have the Word of God to teach us what His plan is. Well, so let's just continue on reading. So Joseph brings back this bad report to his father. Now, you know, it's interesting, as I, as I think about this scripture, did his father ask him to go check on how things were, or did his father say, uh, you know, tell me what's going on with the, with the other siblings? The Bible doesn't say. So whether whether Joseph reported back to Jacob what the deal was or whether he just did what he did, uh, Scripture leaves us kind of blank at that point. Now, verse number 3 says, Now Israel, now that's talking about, that's talking about Jacob. You know, you might want to jot this verse down. Chapter 32, 
This would be a good thing to just remember. In fact, you, I have it written in my Bible, so I will remember. Chapter 32, verse 28, is when God changed uh, uh, his name. Uh, and and it, Well, let's just go back to it and look at it. Let's just go back to chapter 32. It won't take but just a moment. Uh, we are, we're journeying our way back. Chapter 32, and let's make our way over to verse 28. He said to him, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You know what happened right before this, if you look back in verse 22, is, is when Jacob had this wrestling match with what I believe to be the pre-incarnate Christ. The Bible says with an angel. But, but most conservative Bible teachers would say this is one of the pictures in the Old Testament of the pre-incarnate Christ. Well, they had that wrestling match all night. It's a very interesting thing. And, and, and of course, Jacob never would let go, but he couldn't win. And, and he held on. And, and then God finally changed his name. So that, that's just, so you got one man with two names. So he talks about Israel. He's talking about Jacob. Well, he loved Joseph more than all of his children. Well, that's not good, but we're, we'll read on. We're, parents are supposed to love their children equal because he was the son of his old age, and I said that a little earlier. Also, he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, verse 5 says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I've dreamed. He says that we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for the, his dream and for his words. Well, verse 9 says, he dreamed still another dream. Well, that's okay to dream the dream, but look what he did. He told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed this other dream. At this time, he said, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, that to me is a very, very interesting little portion of Scripture that gets us started on our journey of Joseph. Now, you know, in, Dr. Kendall has a book on Joseph. And in his book, he, he describes Joseph a very interesting way. And let me, let me just read what he said. He said, Joseph was a, quote, spoiled, arrogant teenager who was insensitive to his brother's feelings. Now, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty strong language there. But the fact of the matter is, uh, he, he, he was insensitive to his brother's feelings and, 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 you know, and we're going to come back to this to life lesson in just a moment. One of, one of the bad footprints that he left was, is, is uh, he, he, he really became like a tattletale. And, and that, that's not something, that, that's not a spiritual thing to do. And he gave this bad report. And, and really what he did, he, he flaunted this gift that God had given him. 
And you know, when we think about these things and kind of fast forward to little life lessons, and I wish you'd jot this down, is guard against being a tattletale. Now, I know we think about tattletales as little children, and they're going to tell on each other, brother's going to tell on brother or sister, whatever it might be. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't just stay with little children. As people grow up, uh, you know, maybe we, maybe we call it a different name like gossip or slander or whatever we want to call it. But, uh, you know, we speak, we, we tell things and say things that even if they might be true, uh, there are things that really probably sh- it's not our place today. We, we, Jesus kind of dealt with this in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about, you know, sometimes we have a little speck in our eye or we see a speck in somebody else's eye and we can't see the, the board in our own eye. And, and that's very, very true. And, you know, I, I think there, there are two, two things that make a person a tattletale. One is self-righteousness. You know, you see this a lot in, in, in church circles and church groups. And you get around a bunch of people that all say they're Christians. They'll always be, they'll always be, or most always, they'll be one of these holier-than-thou people circus. And, you know, when you get around one of those, uh, they let you know real quick that, you know, they're in tune with God in some special way or, you know, they know more about God. And, of course, Jesus dealt with that. You know, the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, you remember what he prayed to God? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, especially this tax collector. Now, you talk about an example of self-righteousness. And then I think another thing that makes a person uh, a, a tattletale is when, when they do that, it's like self-vindication. You know, if they can make themselves, or if I can make myself by tattling on something about somebody else or tattling on whatever, uh, well, then, you know, I feel better about that. And so we, we see that, and we're going to see it as we journey on through. We're going to see some other things with pride and other things that are going to surface in the life of Joseph. And then a fourth thing that I wish you'd jot down tonight is do not flaunt a spiritual gift that God has given you. Now that, I want to camp out on that a moment. Do not flaunt. But well, the word flaunt just means show off, you know. Now, we talk about spiritual gifts. I, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues. I'm, I'm just talking about people. God gives people spiritual gifts uh, that are very unique, that that are beyond them. And, and some people are extremely gifted in, in that way. I remember, and you've heard me say this before, one of the professors, Dr. Jack McGorman, way back in my seminary days, he would say something like this. He would say, you know, I've taught here at the seminary, I forget how many years it was, lots. And he said, I've seen preachers come to be prepared and they go, and he said, over the years, I've kept up with them, and I've observed something. And here's what he said. He said, most of them that are unusually spiritually gifted, they're really, they're really, God has really anointed them. Some Most of the time, they don't have the character to match their gift. And I've watched that through these years. Um, I've, I have friends that I went through seminary with that were just, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable how spiritually gifted they were. Some in intellect, probably one of the most brilliant 
students that ever went through Southwestern Seminary, and I'm not going to call this name, but John would know who I'm talking about. He and I went through seminary together. He was an absolute genius, just an absolute genius. The guy's mind is just, it's just unbelievable and had a great way of communicating that. But his character did not equal his gift. And so, so many times, spiritually gifted people have to be careful of that. Now, you say, well, I don't, you know, I don't consider myself. Well, look, um, we just have different gifts. And I see it all the time in the church. I mean, some have a gift to do one thing. Some have a gift to do another. Now, as people in the pew, we kind of just see those on the platform. But I, I see spiritual gifts in many people. Gift of compassion, uh, the gift of giving. Uh, the gift of prayer. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of gifts that God has given people for kingdom purposes that we don't see on a platform. And I'm just saying to you, you, you probably have been given, uh, you might want to call it abilities or passions. You know, whatever you have a passion about is probably your spiritual gift. Like if you have a, if you have a passion for people that uh, are sick, that's your, that's your real passion. Or people that are going through a hard time, or, or if you have a passion for children, if you have a passion for music, well, that, that's, that's probably the gift God has given you. Now, if you're really good at that, what you don't want to do is you don't want to flaunt that. Now, what Joseph did, he did that. These two dreams he had, they were visions that God gave him obviously through a dream through two dreams because what he dreamed turned about it, it, it when we get through the study exactly what he dreamed exactly what happened what those brothers said are you saying one day we're going to bow down to you when I the Wednesday night group knows when we move on in the book of Genesis that's exactly what the brothers did do so God had given him uh, a gift in this dream but what did he do with it well, he flaunted it. You say, well, what, how did he flaunt it? Well, he told the details of it. He, he, it would be nothing wrong with saying to his brothers, now God gave me a dream and, you know, I'm trying to process it or whatever. But to tell the details of that, uh, no wonder the brothers hated him. So we have to be very, very careful not to flaunt, not to show off our gifts that God has given us. And... Uh, you know, it, I, I was thinking, I've been thinking about, well, really a couple of weeks about this little particular part right here. Um, I'm, going, I'm going to give one illustration here in a moment, but I will just, it's easy. To, Jimmy, now, in your line of work, in the music world, there are those that are just unusually gifted. And most of them, I said most, most of them that are unusually gifted They'll let you know it. Is that well? Now, over in my world, it's no different. I mean, you know, uh, it's just how it is, and we have to. But I mean, I'm glad I'm dealing with this now. I one of the an example of this that I experienced long ago that I've never told. Um, I've never had any real reason to tell it. You've heard me from time to time mention my three years as assistant pastor of Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth. Sometime when I 
have time, I'll tell you how God ever got us there. That's a story worth giving God glory one day because only God could have worked that out. But in those three years, you said, what was your job there? Well, I was one of two assistant pastors of the church for three years. And I, the other one named Tom Harris, uh, who I married two of his daughters and wound up, I buried him. Uh, and that's another story for another time. But what an impact he had on me and Dottie and especially John. Uh, he, he, but be that as it may, it, I was the second on the staff of the church. There were two assistant pastors, and I'm, I'm the newest of the two. Now, I learned quickly that the newest of the two, what they did was what the pastor didn't want to do. And, 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 and like the guy above me, which would have been Tom Harris, like when I came on staff, then what he used to have to do, it funneled on down to me. And so I, I just was, but I learned. So it was a great three years of, of learning a lot of different things. Now, one of my jobs in that role was that when we had special guests, back in those days in Dallas, in Fort Worth, there was only one airport. There was Love Field. The, the Dallas DFW didn't exist. Everything was out of Love Field. So every time someone would fly in to speak at our church, and it's like about a 45-minute drive from Fort Worth over to Love Field, I was blessed with the job of going over and picking them up. That's a real important spiritual job. You drive over there, you know. So, But here's the deal. In that in that job I had that, uh, you know, all the rest of them were so glad I was the newest one, I, I was able to pick up a lot of people and watch and meet and listen and learn that I never would have met any other kind of way. And I never shall forget. Now, some of you remember this man. Back in the 60s, he was in his heyday. There was a preacher in New Orleans named Bob Harrington. How many of you remember Brother Bob? Anybody? Oh, hold him. I'm kind of curious. Well, God bless it. Three, four, four people. Okay, five. Thank you. Okay. Well, he was known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street. That's Bob Harrington. And, uh, I mean, he, he literally took his Bible and went outside of those uh, bars and things in New Orleans on Bourbon Street, and he just preached the guy. He's a chaplain of Bourbon Street. He gave himself that name, the chaplain Bob Harrington. And in the 60s, like, he, he, was, he was big in, in his world. And now, I'm at Travis at the end of the 60s and the very beginning of the 70s where Bob still He's, he's big on Bourbon Street, but he's gotten so big on Bourbon Street that everybody in the church world wanted to get him to their church to hear him tell his story. You know, he, he had done all, he was still down there in Bourbon Street, but he was, he was on a road line. Well, at Travis, they invited Brother Bob to come preach a revival in the church. 
And Dr. Coggins said, now what you need to do is go over to, DF, go over to Love Field and pick him up and get him over here and give him his hotel. And he's got his music guy with him. Jimmy, I believe that guy's name was Jack Price, if I remember. You may or may not remember. He said, you, so I did. These are all saintly things I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm like a valet. I'm just hauling these famous people around. But anyway, we had him at Travis for four nights in a revival. And on Monday at noon, because he was there, and he was such a big name, they had a pastor's conference always in, in Fort Worth. And it was on Monday. And they, knowing Bob Harrington was at our church, they asked if he could come over and speak at the pastor's conference at noon on Monday. And so guess whose job it was for me to go to the hotel? I, I got to get Brother Bob over to this thing. So I pick him up, and Jack, I pick Jack up in my car, and, and I drive him to this church where we're going to have this pastor. All these preachers are going to be there. And old Brother Bob, now here's, here's, this was my first learning lesson of don't flaunt you. Like, like this guy is gifted unbelievable. I mean, he's musically talented. He's preacher. He's, all right. Well, we get out of the car, and we start walking down the sidewalk going to the church. And, and we're walking along there, and Bob's working. He had pretty hair, and he's working on his hair. But anyway, this music guy he had, Jack Price, if I remember his name, he, he I don't know why he did but he got walking faster than Brother Bob. Bob was fixing his hair, and he got ahead of Bob on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, old brother Bob turned around. He said, look, don't ever walk ahead of me. I'm Bob Harrington, chaplain of Bourbon Street. You always walk behind me. And I thought, you know, there's something about that story not just right. Well, of course, as time went on, in fact, if I can fast forward, as time really went on, uh, brother Bob kind of had a fault, not morally, not morally. I've never heard anything morally wrong with Bob Harrington. But his pride became his downfall. And before it became his downfall, his son-in-law, whose name is Chuck Kelly, and that may not ring a bell for you, but Chuck Kelly is the recently retired president of New Orleans Seminary. He spoke in our church before. Uh, but he's Bob Harrington's son-in-law. Well, when Bob was in his heyday going all over the earth telling everybody to be at Chapman on Bourbon Street, Chuck Kelly, his son-in-law, traveled with him a lot. And I remember one time Chuck Kelly telling the story. Now, he's told this story publicly, so I'm not violating anybody's confidence. I mean, I've heard Chuck Kelly tell this story to thousands of people over the years. But he said, like, he had been on an airplane. Bob Harrington, he'd be going somewhere to preach. And he said, he had, now, Chuck Kelly was a young man. Bob Harrington's on up in the years this time. And he said, I'd be in the back of the plane. said, Brother Bob always rode up in first class, and I rode back with the cattle people. And he said, I'd be back there kind of reading my Bible, and I'd always look up front, and he'd be reading the newspaper. And Chuck Kelly said, in his mind, he thought, you know, I'm young, he's older. Maybe you get to a point spiritually where you don't need to read the Bible anymore. Maybe you've just read so much Bible, you just don't need to read any more Bible. And he said, that, I struggle with that. But now here's the good thing about Bob Harrington. By the way, he died like about two years ago. But after he kind of crumbled, pride finally, oh, Bob repented of that. And the last years of his life, here's the deal. He traveled about 
speaking not about how great he was on Bourbon Street, but how he let pride mess up his life. And he had repented of that, made things right with God, and he really became a different man. And as I, as I was looking at this thing of old Joseph, you, you read this story here. He had that old coat. Now, you know, of course, his daddy made him the coat. But, I mean, you didn't want to tell your daddy you didn't want the coat. But it's kind of like, you know, rubbing spit in his brother's face. He, I, I would think a 17-year-old boy would have known wearing that fancy coat would have not been a good thing for his brothers. But the point that I make here tonight that I think is a good point for all of us is this whole matter of don't flaunt a spiritual gift that God has given you. You know, if, if somebody, you know, like... I, of course, I go back to music again because you just so many people are so musically gifted. But you know, some you can compliment their song or whatever they did, and you can see that they're very humble by that. And others, you kind of get a different vibe. And you know, I have to leave that for them. I just want to encourage you: whatever God has gifted you in, you know, don't flaunt that. A good example of a person that would be the, that do it the right way, that you know would be uh, R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall is one of the most gifted people that you'll ever know. But I can promise you this, you'd never know it. He doesn't flaunt. He's a genius. He's recognized all over the world in theology. He's one of the great theologians of the day. But he never does flaunt that gift. I, I think I shared with you a few weeks ago, I texted him, to ask him something about something in the Bible. I said, I can't figure this thing out. What's your thought? And he wrote me back. You remember what I told you? He said, dear Charles, you, you've asked me a question, and I'm going to give you the answer, and it's very painful for me to give you this answer. I thought, man, what? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it takes a, takes a pretty, pretty humble man just to say, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Dr. Kendall always says the test of your spirituality. Remember, he was in London, England. He said the test of your spirituality would be, could you have lunch with a queen and not tell anybody? Like, could you, could you be invited to the White House to meet the president and to next preacher's meeting and not say, guys, you'll never believe where I was last week. I had lunch with the queen, and then I ate with the president. No, Dr. Dr. Kendall said, you know, I never was invited to eat with the queen. I asked him when I said, you ever speak to the queen? You ever? He said, you don't speak to the queen unless the queen speaks to you. Well, I said, did you ever get near enough for her, for her to speak to you? He said, no. I got in a room one day but not that close. So I just encourage you, you know, if God's gifted you in some way, don't flaunt the gift. Be thankful to God, give him the glory, and God will bless that a hundredfold.